your perspective as a more junior person, as a newer person, as someone who's not steeped in the environment for so long is super valuable. Once you do something and like rip the bandaid off, you're gonna realize it wasn't that bad. The more you quote unquote fail, the stronger you're actually gonna be and the farther you're gonna go in your career. So the sooner you get used to that and like realize that falling on your face metaphorically isn't the end of you, you're doing future you a favor. Welcome to the Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here, and now onto the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that your week is going well. I'm Jess. Hello. Hi. We've probably met before, but if we haven't met before, if this is your first time tuning in, I'm the host of the show, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting so giggly. Um, I'm a women's career and leadership coach, and I also work in the nine to five space. And I'm really excited about today's interview with Cynthia Pong. Cynthia is a career strategist who supports women of color, and she also started her career in the legal field, in more of the nine to five world. And I got to talk to her all about how she supports her clients and about her career advice for you and about her own experiences going through cycles of failure in all phases of her career and learning from those and strengthening herself. And this discussion is filled with so much juicy stuff, but I think one of my favorite things about it is just how open, honest, and raw Cynthia is, both about her own experiences, the things that she struggled with, and the lessons that she took from those things that she now helps her clients move through, and also some of the challenges that her clients face in the workplace, things like microaggressions and unhealthy work environments. And you'll hear so much advice in this episode, both mindset advice on how to build the kind of confidence that can sustain whatever it is that happens to you. She talks about, and we talk together about this idea of like fragile confidence versus sustainable, deep lasting confidence, which I think is so important and doesn't get discussed enough. And I also ask her for lots of tactical career tips on things like how to stand out as a thought leader and, you know, tips and tricks for negotiation. So you're going to find a lot of good stuff in here. And I'm really excited for you to meet Cynthia. This was so much fun for me to listen back to. Quick announcement before I cut into the interview, come join me this month in the free Facebook group if you are interested in hearing me talk about stage fright. Stage fright is a topic that for better or for worse, I have a ton of experience in, both the highs of getting past stage fright and being in the aftermath of courage and feeling so proud of myself and the lows of being really scared, debilitated by anxiety, feeling horrible, so horrible. 
But I learned so much through those experiences. And I know that this is something that a lot of women struggle with. It doesn't get talked about enough. It can be really, really difficult when you're going through it. So this month, I'm doing some videos in the Facebook group on what to do both from a mindset perspective and just from a tactical perspective if stage fright is something that is difficult for you. So if you're interested in those videos, come join me in the Facebook group. I will link it below. It's also just a wonderful place to connect with the women who listen to this show. And I'm really trying to hop in there more and build a sense of community because I think so much of what helps us build confidence and what is going to help you really shine in your career is a sense of connectedness and a sense of not being alone. I was talking about this with someone the other day because it was really on my mind, but I think a lot of times we think that in order to get past our problems and build confidence and become stronger, I think a lot of us have this idea in our head that we do that alone. We listen to podcasts alone. We read books alone. We think about it and reflect alone. And something that has been really at the forefront of my life lately and something that I think is so critically important is the idea of growing and healing and strengthening with other people in the presence of other people. And this can be challenging because when we're alone, we're safe. We don't have to worry about anyone judging us. It's a very like low risk thing, right? Like listening to a podcast or reading a book is there's not much downside risk there. You just do it. But as soon as you open up to other people, that can feel scary. But actually, because it feels scary, I think is one of the reasons it's so effective when you do connect with other people and you do open up to other people and see that other people are experiencing just what you're experiencing and that they want to support you and help you and you feel a sense of love and community. There is nothing better than that. Nothing. No career tip, no podcast episode. Like that is just so important. And that's really something that I want to be able to bring to you all starting in the Facebook group. And hopefully as time goes on, I'll find more ways to create that powerful sense of community. But please come join me in the Facebook group, either if you want to connect and find community, or if you want to watch some videos on managing stage fright and hear what has worked best for me. All right. With that, I'm going to cut into the interview with Cynthia. It's so good. I'm so excited for you to listen and enjoy. My name is Cynthia Pong. I am a feminist career strategist and I work with women of color. Usually means I support them in a couple of different areas. Like the first one is kind of like working on leadership, negotiation, management, things like that. And the second category is career change. Uh, and the third and final category is like starting a small business or a side hustle, stuff like that. How long have I been doing this? About, let's see. Time is tricky for me, especially this year, 2020 being the pandemic. Uh, I first, and we can get into more of this too, if, if, if you're interested, but I first started the experiment of doing career coaching in the winter of like 2017, I want to say. So it's been like four years, something like that. Feels like longer. <laughs> Yeah, time right now is just not, I mean, I can't even process how time is passing right now re recently. Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, I want to go back to a little bit to your nine to five career. Can you tell us what you did before you got into coaching other women? 
Yeah. I was actually a public defender. So I was a lawyer. I still am a lawyer technically, but I don't practice. And I represented clients who were poor people of color from the Bronx uh, accused of crimes. So I would be appointed to their case and represent them from the first time they saw a judge all the way through to if there was a trial or whatever else happened to end and resolve the case. Uh, that was my job and it was my dream job. You know, it was the one that I really set out to do. But unfortunately, I started burning out of that about halfway through my time. So like three years in, I started burning out and ultimately left that whole world after six years. So that was my experience. Uh, not corporate at all, very much nonprofit public sector work. But, you know, there's a lot of kind of common themes and challenges that, you know, cross that kind of distinction. That was basically what I did in a nutshell. And in terms of common themes, going back to that idea, I love talking about early careers on this show. And I love talking about what was hard at the very beginning. What were some of the big things that you ran into either mindset wise or just kind of navigating? Yeah, so I I would say it took me at least a year to gain confidence doing what I was doing. Like I was so, so nervous at the beginning. Literally every tiny decision, Jess, I would like run to my supervisor or someone who was a senior attorney and be like, this is what's happening. What should I do? Or like, I just said this. Is that okay? It was it was pretty bad. Uh, and I, you know, I write about this like in my book and I tell people about this too to really share how deeply my kind of anxiety and lack of self-assuredness impacted and just pervaded my work. So I was just really, really super uh, stressed a lot of the time. And I took my work very seriously, which really just compounded, you know, kind of the underlying anxiety and stuff, because I was like, I am responsible for this person's criminal case. And like, it's like the most important thing in their life, even though it wasn't necessarily always the case. Um, but I viewed it that way. And I was like, I can't mess it up. You know, like I have to do everything perfect, even though that doesn't exist. So that was much of the difficulty I faced in the beginning, before I really just felt like I got my sea legs. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm so glad you shared that. First of all, because I really relate to that experience and that feeling of, being so afraid to mess things up, feeling really anxious, it creates a really difficult spiral that's really hard to get out of. Yes. Yeah. It definitely is a vicious cycle. And, you know, it sometimes it really just takes time, though. You know, you kind of have to go through it for yourself. It's kind of like growing up. You can't skip over that and be a fully formed adult at age one. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I do think it's so easy to say when you're on the other side of a struggle, like, oh, I learned so much. But it, it, these really are rites of passage. And as horrifying as like some of my experiences were, and I'm guessing you might have also had times where you were like, oh, this is not worth whatever learning I'm getting. I'd rather just like not be experiencing this. <laughs> I do think it helps also build empathy with other people. And I, I do think it's important for leaders to go through really, really painful things personally, because then how can you lead from a deeper place if you haven't? It's so true. It really does help build empathy. And it's honestly like, at the moment when we sort of forget what it's like to be in that really unsure, insecure, scary place, then we were not as effective 
speaking to somebody in that situation. So whether it's mentorship, teaching, coaching, like anything like that, you do lose something when you become so distanced. Yeah, I agree. I'm really curious based on your experiences because you support women right now. Has that made you look at your struggles like differently or with a little more distance? Um, <laughs> you know, I never, I never thought that I was going to end up working with only women and specifically women of color. That actually wasn't anything that I planned out ahead of time. It really happened organically. But I think it happened organically because I have the lived experience of being a woman of color. So they're definitely very interrelated, but it wasn't something I set out to do. And, you know, of course, what makes me good at what I do is because I can relate on that level. And more importantly, I guess my clients can relate to me on that level. They know that I get it. And they know what sort of contortions we have to go through in order to get what we want within a system of white patriarchy and all the different uh, intersections of identity and oppression along those lines and within capitalism. So, you know, this is really a long ramble to say, (laughs) I think the answer to your question is yes, (laughs) but I'm happy to clarify anything that I passed by in that ramble. Yeah, well, there's so much in there. I think one thing that's probably really helpful for someone who just isn't feeling confident or is in some sort of professional struggle is hearing stories like yours and hearing just stories of women who had kind of a rough time. Mm-hmm. I just remember trying to find anyone who looked successful and had a modicum of struggle and just feeling very alone. And I think it's the isolation and the aloneness that can make it so much worse than it has to be. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I hear like on a weekly basis from people who either find me on Instagram or LinkedIn or other places. And they're like, you know, what you said on such and such podcast or in your whatever post or in your book, like really resonated with me because I, I so felt like I was the only one, like I was alone in this struggle. And that is what happens so often in these environments because they maybe are the only person, like they might be the only person of color in a room or in a, you know, virtual room nowadays. And that may be their reality. So it makes sense that they would feel alone. But the truth is, we're not. We have experiences that, I mean, I can almost guarantee you, you know, like someone else, another woman, another woman of color has experienced before. And remembering that and and trying to, I guess, seek out those people to form a support for you, part of your community, part of your personal advisory board, like whatever you want to call it, your network is so crucial because Otherwise, you're really much more susceptible to the kind of gaslighting that happens in a lot of these environments, which is where, you know, you are made to feel like whenever you think there's a problem that, no, you are the problem or you made up the problem, that there's no problem. You're just um, exaggerating or it's all in your head, that type of stuff, which is really like insidious in a lot of environments. And I mean, I've talked to so many clients who have faced difficulty like, you know, one client who's been micromanaged by a very perfectionistic boss who's also a real subscriber to like toxic positivity. <laughs> um, and she's really had her confidence undermined over the years because this boss just like it doesn't give my client any room to grow. 
And even though I can see that she's incredibly competent and all these other external factors show her that she's extremely competent, unfortunately, like that voice of her boss has really become entrenched in my client's head. So it's like a lot of work to try to undo that. You know, so that's like one example. I mean, for me as well, like, I don't know, I think even though I didn't think so much about how being a woman and being a woman of color in my job made me like less good at my job when I was a a public defender, you know, there would be these sort of little like barbs every once in a while, like walking into court and someone like one of the court staff, like assuming I was the interpreter instead of the actual lawyer or like for my colleagues who are black, especially the young black men or young black women, assuming that they're the client you know, with the charges against them as opposed to the lawyer. Like that type of stuff is very harmful and it adds up and it, you know, we try to like brush it off or pretend like it's not a big deal. But the truth is it's terrible. Um, It's super racist and biased and it's happening to other people too. Like back, looping back to the point you made, we're not alone. It's happening to a lot of us. And, you know, if we allow ourselves to become isolated and siloed, it just feeds into the bigger problems. And this has really got me thinking about and curious, especially with what you've seen with clients, if there are ways that their coworkers have shown up in support and Mm. in solidarity with them to try to go in the other direction and be supportive in some of these situations where it feels like they're being gaslighted Mm -hmm. or it just feels like, you know, something really biased or disrespectful is being said to them. Yeah, you know... I'm sorry to say that I can't think of too many examples where someone else has has really like stood up for them in this way, which isn't to say it hasn't happened. The, the one client I was sharing about earlier does have another colleague who's kind of like at the same level who knows what's up, you know, kind of sees things the same way, has experienced some of the same things. So there there is that, but that person is pretty much a lateral to them. So not really in a position to advocate too much. And it's a small organization. My client's like immediate boss is a much better boss, but like, again, is not necessarily gonna stand up to the big boss, who's the one who um, is perpetuating these kind of things. And there's a little bit of this, which happens a lot in organizations. I don't know if you've noticed, Jess, but like, a little bit of like a personality cult around the leader of a small organization, or even a bigger one where there's like a emperor's new clothes thing that happens. It's like everyone is drinking the Kool-Aid, like, oh, so-and-so founder, executive director is so great and they can never do any wrong. And like, I'm so glad I work here. It's such a privilege. Like, you know, it's always that kind of narrative and nobody wants to criticize the founder, even though the founder is like perpetuating some really toxic stuff. That unfortunately, I feel like is what what is more likely to happen and why so many people end up leaving organizations because they're driven out. Oh my gosh, I'm reading a book on brainwashing. And it's so crazy because I think we think as humans like, oh, I'm autonomous, you know, like, I make my own choices. But we actually are really susceptible to groupthink and these dynamics. And I think when you are in an unhealthy environment, that is one of the most difficult places to build confidence, like you want to build yourself up in a healthy, supportive environment. So it's just it's a double challenge if you are growing, if you're earlier in your career, or if you're just trying to build your confidence, mm-hmm. and you're also somewhere that is not supportive and has those types of dynamics. 
Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up groupthink because it's so real. It's so real. I mean, you just have to sort of like observe what happens on social media like for a second to see and, you know, what's happening in our our immediate world in this country and stuff like it's wild. And I do think, you know, we 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 assume that we have much more free will than we do have. And for that, you know, just point to like advertising, <laughs> you know, how suggestive and susceptible are we to certain imagery or, you know, just looking at something and then like being made to feel that we want or need that. It's I don't know. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think I so feel for this client of yours in certain ways. Yeah. Of like she's trying to undo this voice because it requires so much strength to find your own courage, to take up more space, you know, to really do a lot of the things that happen, especially if you're trying to advance or progress. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of inner fortitude that needs to be built. And then you have a voice telling you that it's never enough. It's not good enough. It is like, that is really, really challenging. Yeah. And I mean, the scarier part is that I think it has also pervaded other aspects of her life. Like in a lot of ways, we we're different in different environments, right? Like we might be more introverted in some context and then less so like with our close friends or like whatever. So, you know, I don't want listeners to think to like paint themselves with broad brushes necessarily either. Like, oh, I'm this way and like, I'm therefore always going to be this. And in every context, I'll be this, you know, that's obviously not true. But I do think like it was very powerful for this one client, the voice of that bad boss. And I will tell you too, like I have another client who, you know, we're not, I'm not working with her anymore, but like we worked together for about a year and she's much more senior in her career. So I don't know, like in her fifties or sixties, something like that. And is, is in these executive positions, but still didn't see herself as a leader because she has had a string of bad bosses, or maybe it wasn't even that many. It was like three maybe over the course of her career, but because our brains have a negativity bias, like they would always just go towards those examples. And she would then attribute the most recent toxic boss, like that kind of behavior to the new boss who was much better, still problematic in some ways, but like she would kind of just assume that this new boss was going to act and respond in the same ways that the old toxic boss would. And that would cause her to hold back or second guess or have just, you know, anxiety about how she was conducting herself. And the last thing I'll say about this client is that it made her even be unable to see herself as a leader, even though the whole time I was telling her, you are, you like are a leader, role model to other people, you're doing all these things. And I point her to examples, but I could tell she wasn't really believing me. But then at the end of our work, our time together, she was like, you know what, I realized, Cynthia, that I had to go through having these bad bosses, because that allowed me to see that I am a, actually a better leader than all these other people. So that was cool. Yeah, there's no faster way to figure out your management style, I think, than to experience ones that you don't like. Yeah, that is so true. But you know what, that that sort of is what gives me hope in a way. It's like kind of perverse, but it allows us to be better. Mm -hmm. I do hope that as talent leaves a toxic work environment, that some of these places start to catch on. Like, hey, we're losing talent. We're not retaining the good talent. They're all leaving and going to this other place where they're being treated a lot better. 
that obviously has not been happening at a rapid pace, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping that that could be a shift that happens sometime in the near future because I don't think people want to live and work in the same way that, you know, our entire kind of corporate work culture has been built on. I think we are all ready for change. I hope. I mean, I am. I know. Well, I do think that folks who are younger than me, you know, like, I do think millennials and Gen Zs, like with a with broad strokes, of course, do tend to not take any shit. Like in the workplace, I see people being just way more like, I'm not going to be loyal to an organization or an institution that doesn't care about me, you know, and voting with their feet and leaving. So I actually am quite hopeful in terms of that, that it will cause organizations to be better. So we'll see. (laughs) I agree. And it's like that thing you mentioned about kind of like drinking the Kool-Aid is it's really hard. Like when someone's in a position of power, it is really hard to figure out how to navigate that. Like if you fundamentally disagree, it's like, yeah, that's not an easy situation to figure out a way out of besides just leaving. No, you're right. And I think part of my view about being like, I'm not going to take this and like, I'm going to speak my mind and stuff is, is very much uh, because I used to be part of a union. (laughs) You know, when I was a public defender, we were unionized, which seems so bizarre because lawyers and unions don't seem to be like a thing, but we were, and I'm so grateful that we were because it provided me with, and all of my colleagues with that level of protection, like we knew we couldn't be retaliated against, uh, like our union would stand up for us and all this stuff. And yeah, but you know, unions are less than 6% of the workforce and probably even less by now that stat is probably out of date. So to your point, you're exactly right is very hard. So we'll now get into I think the thing that helps everyone feel empowered to make whatever choice they want to make in their work environment and is also just a really useful thing, which is confidence. And it's something that a lot of the women who listen to this show are in this process of building and creating. And I wanted to hear a little bit of your perspectives. First, just how do you define confidence in a professional setting, either personally or with your clients? This is a very timely question because I actually just did a LinkedIn Live. I do these weekly live shows on LinkedIn on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, and I, I like address topics by request. So this was actually a popular topic, and I talked about it last week. And people are like, how do I strengthen my confidence, especially with respect to coworkers, supervisors, and in networking? So... I had to think about it as I prepared for this uh, live. And the definition I kind of came up with for myself is like just this feeling of self-assuredness in yourself, which comes from being able to objectively see or as objectively as possible, recognize your strengths, your areas for growth, you know, your wacky idiosyncrasies and be able to like embrace all of those things and not feel shame about any particular aspect, you know, because the root of it is we all have strengths. We all have areas for growth and we're all on our own journey. Like we're works in progress. So being able to recognize that both for yourself and everybody around you is a real key to being able to have that self-assured approach to your work, you know, with respect to whoever you're interacting with, you know? So that's my definition. I don't know if you have a different one. 
I love that so much. I mean, my definition morphs constantly, mm-hmm. but I think always something that's always been in my definition and that's in yours too that really resonated with me is just confidence is about looking at your weaknesses too. And I just like really think a lot about being in the bad feelings, the negativity, all of those things. I think the real confidence comes from having a tolerance to be in that and stay in it until you're ready to be out of it. And I think that doesn't get talked about as much because we all have to be so polished, you know, and so ready to go in our work settings that I I think people don't have enough space to just be allowed to be struggling or having a horrible day or whatever it is. I think it's true, but we do it it's because we're like socialized to be really uncomfortable with that and to feel feelings of shame or anxiety and fear of failure and like all that stuff is hammered into us from such a young age, especially women, you know? So I think it does make it really hard to overcome. But I feel like what you're talking about is a form of exposure therapy. <laughs> you know, the more time you spend in in something that, I don't know, strikes fear into your heart or makes you uncomfortable in some sort of way, like the less uncomfortable you're going to feel the more you do it. Well, it's so interesting because when I was like in my 20s, I was very interested in professional women's empowerment. And I feel like I was almost like a seeker, like I was looking for the secret or the answer. And I remember feeling very dissatisfied and almost ashamed when I would go to a workshop that was like, well, this is how you be confident. And I was like, but I feel like really anxious and afraid. And I like this advice doesn't apply to me. And it just made me feel like, am I the only one experiencing this? And I think mm-hmm. that it's it's really important to be in that and to allow that and to know that you can get through very difficult things. It's not just about like getting it right or sounding perfect on the first try. And I know that sounds so absurd, but I feel like that's what's presented a lot of the time. Yeah, we have in this culture, I feel like we have a very weird obsession with perfection, quote unquote, and everything looking Pinterest perfect or whatever. But it's not real. It's not real. And it's not how we learn. And it's not how we grow. So if we're genuinely interested in learning and growing, that's not the way. I feel like if you're going to try to get things right on the first try or whatever, one, you're going to wait way too long before you actually come out with the thing. Um, But two, you're kind of like building a very fragile facade. And I guarantee you, it's just going to come back to bite you later. And I'm sorry to be such a negative person about it, but it is because you're not building a real foundation. Like the image of like trying to build the front of a building with like eggshells comes to mind. You know, it's going to crack at the first real challenge to it. So you may as well just, you know, get used to like... The more you quote unquote fail, the stronger you're actually going to be and the more, the farther you're going to go in your career. So the sooner you get used to that and like realize that falling on your face metaphorically isn't the end of you, you're doing future you a favor. Did you ever have moments where you felt your own fortification happening? I think, I mean, I, I don't know if I felt this at the time, but looking back at my public defender career, I know that I did really need to mess up like a bunch of times and make a whole lot of mistakes before I gained experience, you know, and then gain the perspective to to be able to 
really be confident and not just falsely confident, you know, not projecting or performing something that I didn't genuinely feel inside. So, and, and like, those things had to happen. Like I had to make those mistakes. I had to mistakenly like reject a plea that I really should have accepted on behalf of a client. Like I had to, you know, mess up in a trial a few times, like all the different mistakes. Like I had to say the thing that I shouldn't have said and then learn that like, Oh, you know, should have not said that. And next time, like in the same situation, no, not to say that there's really no substitute for doing those things. And you know, like, I don't know why I keep going back to egg metaphors, but you do have to break some eggs to make an omelet. <laughs> it's true. And I think just the first few times those things happen, I think they can feel really disastrous, like big yeah. and disastrous. And then you have enough of them. And then I think that builds the adaptability where your range of how you can get things done gets like wider because you're not so afraid. Exactly. And you know, lest people think I'm super callous because I'm like comparing making these mistakes, which really did have in some cases negative influence on my clients' cases. Like I also do because I also have a lot of clients who are like, they don't want to mess up because they don't want to like let down the team or quote unquote ruin the project for everyone or like hurt clients or hurt the organization, the mission, like all this stuff, right? Because we always, as women, we're always like putting other people and other things ahead of ourselves or that that's how we're socialized, you know? Like, I want to point out that I also think that though certain mistakes that I made may have had negative consequences, like in that moment for clients, like it also either opened up opportunities for them or like wasn't actually that big of a deal to them or, you know, it was something that I then came to view as like it had to happen that way, you know, and then because it happened a certain way, like it actually then came back in like a very positive way for them later on or something. And there's this like very kind of corny allegory story that I could tell about this, but you know, tell me if you want me to say it or not. Yes. I love corny allegories, please. All right. So I call this the maybe story, although I'm sure it has many names. And I first heard it from a friend of mine, Annie Levin, when I was doing restorative justice work between when I was a public defender and when I started my business or when I started the career coaching. So the story goes like this. There once was a farmer and the farmer had a son and they like tilled their farm or like whatever. And they had a horse to help on the farm. And one day the horse ran away. So the everybody in the village was like, oh my God, this is horrible. Your only horse ran away. Now you have no horse. What are you going to do for your farm? This is like the worst. And the farmer's like, maybe. So a few days pass and then the horse actually comes back and brings back two other wild horses with him or her. And so now the farmer has like three horses on the farm and everyone in the village is like, this is fantastic. You went from zero horses to three horses. Like, this is amazing. And the farmer's like, baby. Then a week passes and the farmer's son's like riding one of these wild horses and gets thrown from the horse's back and breaks his leg. So he cannot work on the farm anymore. So all the villagers are like, oh no, your only son broke his leg and can't help you with the farm anymore. This is a disaster. And the farmer says, maybe. Then finally, war breaks out in the region and all of the young men and sons in the area are like drafted off to fight 
except the farmer's son because his leg is broken. So everybody, of course, is like, now you can predict, uh, everyone in the village is like, this is great, you, your son doesn't have to go off to war and like risk dying in this stupid war. This is great. And the farmer says, maybe. So I always think of that story because it's like, a lot of times where we do make that immediate snap judgment, jump to conclusions like, oh my God, I didn't get this job. This is like the worst. I'm never going to get a job ever again. Like, obviously that's not true, but like it actually may not have been the worst. Like that might've been a terrible workplace and you dodged a bullet, you know, or, or the opposite. So it's just a good story to remember sometimes when you're assuming things that, and, and putting a judgment on it that we don't actually know to be true. It really makes me think about control too, and how it's like we the amount that we think that we're in control <laughs> of our outcomes is sometimes much less, you know, like we think that we can control things, but there are all these variables that it's mm -hmm. just sort of, no matter what, it's never going to be perfect. So you might as well relax a little bit and yeah. just give yourself space to be an imperfect, messy human and just figure out your career as best as you can. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing that free will stuff that you've been uh, into lately coming out again in that response. But it's true. Control is an illusion. And I don't know where I got that from. I think from a Mr. Robot episode or something. <laughs> but it's true. We don't actually control all that much. Really, only we, we only control ourselves, and sometimes we don't even control ourselves. So it's important to remember that and not set yourself up to impossible standards. Yeah, I agree. And rather than like seeking control, it's almost like seeking a sense of fun and autonomy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And also, like, another thing that what you were saying just now remind me of is the importance of enjoying the journey, because <laughs> that's all you really have. <laughs> we're constantly in our minds, either in the future or the past, you know, either projecting or goal setting or planning all these things that are in the future and don't exist yet, or feeling regret or shame or whatever, wishing the past wasn't the way it was or like missing the past. So it's something else for listeners to think about too, is like, what ratio of time are you spending actually enjoying the, the only thing we really do have, which is the now? Yes. Oh my gosh. My brain loves the future so much. Yeah. Same. Same. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's everyone's brain. Yeah. <laughs> And I want to get some quick career advice tidbits from you before we start moving towards the closing questions. I guess let's do best advice for these so that I can knock a few of them out. What is your best advice for someone to step up as more of a thought leader in their role? Figure out what your point of view is. Like, what do you have to say? You know, and it doesn't have to be anything profound. And then step two is just say it. <laughs> Whether it's by writing, through video, through audio, whatever it is, share it. And how would you debunk or just respond to the, well, like, I'm the most junior person in the room, or, you know, my perspective doesn't matter for whatever reason someone is coming up with? Oh, I mean, first of all, question how much you are buying into the hierarchy that's around you. <laughs> sure, the hierarchy may exist, but don't conflate that with people's value or relative value or relative worth. You know, it's kind of like, I, uh, you know, optimally, like we're, we're during election season right now. So I'm like, the brain is there or whatever. But it's supposed to be like one person, one vote, you know, so you also should be able to 
say what you have to say, and your perspective is valuable. Your perspective as a more junior person, as a newer person, as someone who's not steeped in the environment for so long is super valuable. I mean, so much innovation comes from people who, you know, haven't been around long enough to feel like, oh, this is how we do it because this is how we've always done it, you know? So yeah, your voice is very valuable. Uh, Please share it. I love that. And can you share quick thoughts on trusting oneself, like having enough self-trust to then actually do what you're saying, which is share the perspective? I think, and this is something I talked about in that LinkedIn Live about confidence, which people can find on my feed, like the replay is still on my feed. Having a mindset of self-compassion as opposed to self-criticism is crucial. So if you if you make that shift so that you're not constantly being like beating up on yourself in your head, like, I should have done that better. Like, oh, that wasn't perfect. Like, so-and-so would have done this better. Or I wish I had just... You know, all those thoughts, if you really just stop them before you even finish the thought and then have some compassion for yourself, like, oh, I did the best I could, you know, or like have a curiosity point of view, like, oh, this is interesting that I answered the question this way or that I handled the situation this way. And then be like, what can I learn from this? You know, what would I repeat the same next time? What might I change? That is all way more neutral and kind to yourself than all those, you know, knee-jerk negative thoughts that I was saying in the beginning. I love that so, so much. And speaking of being kind to yourself, can you share maybe one or two tips um, when it comes to job searching and career change? I know that's an area that you focus on. Yeah. So I'd say a combination of two things. One is very related to what I was just saying, which is Develop and strengthen your positive self-talk because we have so much negative self-talk. So we need to really overcompensate in this regard. And if you could see the wall that's in front of me behind my computer, you would see that there's a million, (laughs) a million little note, like positive notes to myself because as I was growing my business and I'm just going to say it like failing repeatedly, I was the only person who was going to tell myself to keep going. There's nobody there anymore when you're an entrepreneur to like pat you on the head and be like, good try, Cynthia, or like, you know, that was great, or try this differently next time. No, it's not, it's just you. So I knew that I had to reinforce my positive self-talk and, you know, I encourage everyone else to do that too as step one. Step two is to take action because action is the antidote to fear. Once you do something and like rip the Band-Aid off, you're going to realize it wasn't that bad. <laughs> and you can do it again. And you are resilient and you are resourceful. So that's those are the two things that I would encourage people to do, whether they're job searching and facing a lot of rejection, which you can reframe as redirection, by the way, um, or changing careers and feeling lost or, you know, down on themselves. Mm. Was there a particular sticky note, a particular message or phrase that like really resonated with you to pick you up during those times? Yes. It's trust the timing of your life. (laughs) Oh, so good. So hard to do. Yes, it is. Yeah. (laughs) That one, like, I feel like the brain kicks up all kinds of resistance to that one. At least mine does. It's like, no. (laughs) Well, you know what? I'll give you a bonus one for the people who are more like granular and feet to the ground, which is really me anyways. It's pretty personal to my own career journey. So it says, No one is going to jail. Chill. 
whatever it is, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I I can feel like the energy of that, like both sides, like mm-hmm. what it's trying to get you out of and what it's trying to get you into. Mm-hmm. And one more piece of advice before we move into the next section. What can you share with anyone around negotiation, salary, any quick tips that might help someone feel more prepared? Yeah. So first I'll offer a mindset shift, which is pretty powerful. And it comes from a book called Never Split the Difference, uh, which I recommend. So first is to reframe negotiation itself as a problem-solving conversation. The problem is they're not paying you enough. The solution that you all, that like the goal in common between you and your boss or whoever it is, is to keep you working there, right? It's in their interest to keep you working there. You want to keep working there, presumably. The only problem is the pay or the compensation. So how do you solve that? And approaching it that way can really, really just propel your negotiation forward. In terms of like tactical stuff, Mm, there's uh, some tips that I learned from this really great podcast called Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. Do you know that one? No, I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's great. Comes out of Seattle, their national public radio um, local station out there, KUOW. But I highly recommend it. And during one of their podcast episodes, they had an expert come on and share like some quick things that you can say to try to make sure you're getting the best deal. So, well, the first thing is, ooh, and this one might have come from a different podcast. It might have come from Nerdette, actually. Um, so this first one is to say, to ask when they're like, oh, the starting salary is this, or, you know, we can't give you a raise this year or whatever. The, you ask a question in a neutral tone and it's, oh, how flexible is that? Then you get a chance of whether there, you, you get a sense of whether there is any chance of negotiating, if there's any flex at all, right? And it's very, like, innocuous sounding. The second one, which definitely came from Battle Tactics for your sexist workplace, is, um, you know, give me the name of, like, a fake company, fake employer. Yellow Cups Incorporated. Yellow Cups Incorporated? Because <laughs> I have okay. a yellow cup. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so let's say you're sitting there, Jess, you're talking to your boss, and you're trying to get a raise. And they're like, oh, you know, we can give you, like, a 1% raise this year. <laughs> so you say oh, is that the best that Yellow Cups Incorporated can do? It takes the any attacky feeling of it away because it's like you're not even asking your boss. You're just asking your boss ab- about the organization. So it removes them from being in like a attacked <laughs> position com- entirely. And you find out if it's the best, you let them do the work for you. So I would say those are two phrases that you can use. You know, um, how flexible is that? And is that the best that such and such company can do? Oh, I have not heard that one. And that's good. That's really good. Awesome. Okay. So before we go into the closing questions, tell us a little bit what it's like to work with you. Sure. Well, I don't know if this is the answer you were looking for, but working with me is kind of like getting a loving kick in the pants that you knew you needed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm total hype woman. I get very uh, loyal and I'm kind of like a, I've been described before as a pit bull in the courtroom. So I guess I became a pit bull like in the virtual space for my clients. And I'm very practical. I'm super goal oriented. So I very much am like future focused in that way. So yeah, that's kind of the 
larger uh, way to describe what it is like to work with me. I don't know if you actually wanted, like, this is what it actually looks like. But folks can find out about that on my website, <laughs> which is embracechange.nyc. Awesome. And I'll link that below also. And now we get to do my very favorite part of the interview, which is the closing questions. I have three today. So the first one is just a quick tip for someone, something they can do this week that will help them feel more in control of their career development and their progression. Perfect. So set aside 20 minutes and do some reflection on where you are versus where you want to be. A good way, a, a nice framework in which to do this is if you haven't already, think about what your life mission is, what your career mission is, and what your mission in your particular job right now or the one that you want next is. So those are all kind of like one fits into the other, like what you what your mission is in your job should fit within what you want to do in your career, which should fit within what you want to do in your life. And those may seem like big questions, but they're worth thinking about just to make sure you're going the right direction. And I talked a lot more about this in a, a past LinkedIn Live too. So if folks want more direction on that, check that out on my LinkedIn feed. Awesome. That that made me curious, like if you are working through something like that with a client and they're they're in kind of a space of like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of like little step to help someone who's like that? feels like a lot and I don't know what my mission is. Yeah, I would suggest starting by do you could do an audit. What you could do is pay attention to like a week, any particular week and like get a journal or a piece of scrap paper or like open up a document whatever it is and just write down every time that you feel happy or you hit flow or you're like really into something. You know, and by hit flow I mean like you know, you get so absorbed in your activity that you lose track of time type of thing. So note down when you feel those positive, like, high points. And also, you could probably more easily state, like, what you really didn't like doing. So I would look at those two and sort of compare and then see what patterns there are. And then think about, like, what impact you want to have. You know, and it's also totally okay to be like, I only want to work so that I have money to put food on the table and have a roof over my head. Like I've had clients who have this utilitarian point of view about work and I fully support it because we live within capitalism and we have to survive, you know? So for this, this one past client, she's like, I don't really care what I do. I just want to have money so I can do what I want to do on my own time. And I was like, respect. And so that's what we did for her, you know? And so I want to make clear that that is also completely acceptable. Yeah, I think we need to have that flexibility to do life how we want, you know, so easy to box ourselves in. That's right. And unfortunately, a lot of times doing life how we want does involve dollars. So you do need that um, in order to support yourself, you know, and listen, the mission statements can change over time, you know, and like for an example, my life mission is to do more good than bad. Okay, it's nothing very profound. It's really just stems from me knowing that like my existence has a a vastly negative impact on the environment and all sorts of other systems. And so I feel like I'm constantly working to pay off that debt. Within my career, my mission is to like, move the needle on racial justice, um, and social justice beyond that. 
And then my mission for this job is to get women of color more money, power, and respect. And my mission within my last job as a public defender was to provide the best defense I could for my clients who were largely poor people of color. So you can sort of see how it has that like nesting doll effect, how one fits into the other fits into the other. So it it doesn't have to be anything fancy (laughs) and work with what you got. You know, it's okay. It's really inspirational to hear all of your missions. Thank you for sharing those. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. And... For the second to last question, it's about the name of the show, The Art of Speaking Up. So I love to ask everyone what The Art of Speaking Up means to them. Yeah, so it made me think about art as opposed to science of, because if you thought about speaking up as like a hard thing, you know, I would have to say, yeah, just always speak up like all the time, (laughs) you know, just do it. However, (laughs) that doesn't work so well when you have to take into account dynamics and politics and different people's egos (laughs) and being strategic. So I feel like that's where the art comes in. Like you have to weigh whether it's worth speaking up at a certain time or how to do it or how to phrase things, the tone to use. To me, that's all, you know, the, the calculus that we have to go through in the art of speaking up. Although the bottom line is, you know, a thumb on the scale for speaking up in general for women, you know. And for the final question, this was inspired by what inspired the show, which is this time in my career where I was struggling and I felt very alone. And I always give this last space to the guest just to speak directly to anyone listening who's either in a difficult spot or looking to feel more confident, more strong, more empowered in their job. I love this. So it relates so much to what we covered earlier in the podcast, even though I didn't know that it would. But if you take nothing else away from this episode... Remember that you cannot fast forward experience. You can't. And I learned this when I was in public defender camp, or it's not actually called that. I just call it that. But I went to this two week training when I was a public defender, like three years in to really learn how to do trials. And somebody said that. And it was one of those moments where I like, my mind was blown, you know, and I've always remembered that to reassure myself, to reassure people around me, my friends, people who are younger than me and more junior in their career. Like, don't be in such a hurry. Um, It's okay. And I write about this, like, in my book on career change, too. Like, I use a quote that Zadie Smith said, which was like, you know, I don't know why my younger self was in such a big rush or whatever, (laughs) you know, because she had her, like, breakout novel at a very young age. And, you know, it's, it's just unnecessary, the amount of pressure that we put on ourselves when we're younger to achieve and excel and be the best and all this stuff, like, it's okay. Like, you can chill a little bit and please try to enjoy the process of learning and growing because really, in a way, that's like all we have. I love that so much. Thank you so much, Cynthia. You're most welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in, right? Like when I say it's good, it's good. It, it was so much fun to hear Cynthia talk about things. And I just appreciated how she was so transparent, so raw and unfiltered. Thank you, Cynthia. But also like I loved the lightness and the humor and it was just such a perfect conversation. Below, I'm going to link Cynthia's website and her LinkedIn and also her book as well as her social handles so that you can reach out and get in touch with her. And a special thanks to Cynthia for coming on the show. 
and being so open. I know it was so helpful for me to hear what you had to say. And I hope you, the listener, enjoyed our conversation. If you are interested in getting in touch with me, I will also put my contact information below. If you are wanting support for your professional development and your career, and you want to work with me one-on-one, you can check out my website in the show notes or feel free to reach out to me if you have questions or just want to say hi. And join me in the Facebook group. I will be talking about stage fright there this month. So I definitely recommend watching those videos if stage fright is something that you struggle with. I know that it can feel like so horrifying. Trust me, I know. I really know, I promise you. But your and your brain might like totally reject this, but it is a solvable problem. It takes time and it's you have to just like keep showing up for it, but it really does get better. Like where I started at the beginning of my career, like the level of fear and anxiety I had has gone down by such a huge margin and there's a part of me that like still thinks it's so bad. And then I remember it's not as bad. And there's just like this sense of relief and it just keeps getting better and better. So keep at it. Don't give up on yourself. The hard things are the places where you are being called to show up for yourself and you are being called to show yourself just how strong you can be. Like think about that. Even though it's hard, that's incredible. Like what is more incredible than that? And I really believe that to be true. And so show up for yourself. And if you want to watch these videos, join the Facebook group. And if you want someone to support you through this process of finding your voice, that is something that I do in my one-on-one work. All right, I'm going to sign off. I'm in a very happy mood. I'm actually about to record a solo episode and I'm very excited for that. And I'm excited that you're listening And I just feel happy right now. I'm looking out the window at all these trees and it's making me feel good. So hopefully you can look out your literal or proverbial window and find something that makes you feel happy. And I'm going to catch you next week for another solo episode. I've been in this cadence with the show of pretty much alternating interview solo episode, interview solo episode, and it's been working really well for me. Like I love it. It's just that creative flow that it is putting me in because the creative process of like interviewing versus doing a solo episode is very different for me. And they both kind of like hit on different things and it's been wonderful. I would love to know how you're liking it. Are you enjoying this 50-50 mix? Tell me, I love to hear your feedback. You have no idea how excited I get when you send me a message or email me. So please do, I'd love to know. But anyway, it's time for me to record a solo episode. So I'm gonna sign off and say bye. (laughs) This outro is getting so rambly. So I'm gonna go. And you have an amazing, amazing day. Go do something brave and I'll catch you in the next one. Bye.